everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here as always with fellow Regional Master Instructor, dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I am so good, Marty. Happy New Year. Yes, what a way to kick off 2023. <laughs> We've been waiting for this. So I think it's a great way to start 2023. Let's just kind of talk about some science and like, you know, I've always heard about these things. And let's just kind of clear it right off the get go as we go into the new year. Yes, I'm really excited about this one because these are some typical questions that Marty and I get. So again, I know we may end up having to do a part two, part three, but these were the ones that actually just recently came up. So we thought instead of just answering everyone individually, we're going to do a, a podcast about it and spread the word. <laughs> Love it. Yes. You know me, Wendy. I always, when we're teaching live workshops, I always say, if I find that group called they, I'm going to eliminate them, right? Because some of these come, like, you'll ask someone, well, where'd you hear this? I don't know. They always told me who's they, I have no idea who they are, but it's just one of those things. Like, so I'm in the search for that group of they that started these rumors and confused the poor, innocent people out there. So one day I'll find them all. Yeah. And I think, you know, before we even dive too, too deep into it, there is some truth about some of the questions that we're going to talk about. I think it's just the interpretation of it and the way that they explained it and maybe our the way that we interpret how they were explaining it and took it a, kind of a completely different direction. You know, the same thing when people are squatting and they say you need to squat with a flat back. Well, you absolutely have to squat with a flat back, but it doesn't mean vertical and it doesn't, you know, I mean, so there's a lot of, you know, just the way that we take, take that information and then how we apply it or, or understand it. So, so I'm excited about this one. I think this will be fun. And, you know, just some of the recent ones we've heard. And for anybody listening, we bring up a topic that's near and dear to you, your heart. Don't get stressed out. We have a rationale and a reason behind because when we've been in, in these uh, live events before and you see people's like face go white and they're like, wait a minute, but we will give the rationale behind it. I promise. Yes. Let's dive in, Marty. Let's Absolutely. So myth number one, you know, is where, well, well, let's go into why we're doing this first. I think we kind of already covered this is, you know, where are you getting your information? Wendy, you know, I've always talked about this is you know, listen to people out there, but run that filter through back to some level of science. Like where are these questions coming from? Don't just take it at face value. Are you using critical thinking? Like when someone says, well, this is the way I've always done it, or this is what I've heard. Process that information, go back to the information that you've learned that you know is evidence-based. And like we always say, the model's your best friend, run that through the model. And I think it's important, too, because some of this stuff, when we talk about it, they're like, well, there's research that says this. And again, we're not going against research. We want research to validate our, you know, our thoughts and our processes and, you know, to determine whether it's something that we should incorporate into our training or with our clients. It's just, you know, even when you're going through and we talk about some of this and you do see some things in research, find out what did they what are they researching you know, why are they researching it? What was the, the, the group number? I mean, how many subjects did they have? And, you know, and, and what was, what did they find out? And then at that point, you know, you, you know, just take it and kind of break it apart because if you just read research and you just look at the results and you're like, well, this is what it says, but yet there was no assessment or there was no determination that like a certain muscle was in a, a compromised position and, and something like that, then you can get some false information because of the way that that study was done. So just want to throw that out there too. <laughs> Great points as always. I try. 
So now we're going to move into myth number one. So I, you know, worked in facilities where I managed, you know, large um, private country clubs and we had every type of fitness, you name it. And Pilates is very popular. And if you go back to the early 1900s, Joseph Pilates, when he figured this out using springs, he was actually taking springs off of mattresses. He was, he was imprisoned. Brilliant, brilliant, uh, forward thinking person on posture and breathing. So there's so many positive things to come out of what he developed way back when, well over 100 years now. But the one rumor that always kind of came through it is, well, I'm going to take Pilates because I want to lengthen my muscles. So let's take it at face value. Am I going to move the attachments, the origin insertions of a muscle? No, that's not physically possible. So can I improve my posture? Can I improve my range of motion? Can I become more mobile? Of course. But am I, you know, when people said it that way, like scientifically, are you potentially lengthening muscles? Well, you're lengthening the extensibility of muscles, but you're not physically changing it. And Wendy, before I kick it over to you, how many times have we heard that I want those long, lean, sexy muscles? And I'm like, right. <laughs> and, you know, and I think it's important to say when, when you take a Pilates class and you have an instructor, they want you to sit up tall. They want you to elongate your spine. They want you to be able to be more aware of your posture. And it is a very challenging type of, of workout. And, you know, they focus, they, meaning the Pilates instructors, usually target um, muscles and, and activities where you're really focusing on the eccentric contraction. And, you know, that's one thing that I really do like about Pilates. And you are getting yourself into good posture because it, they're making you aware of your positioning, which is what we try to do with every one of our clients. And while we, you know, Marty and I always talk about the five kinetic chain checkpoints and everything. And so, you know, even when I have people that take Pilates and then they come and see me, there are certain positions that, that I don't think is appropriate for my clients based on an assessment. So I say, Hey, maybe tweak this or talk to your Pilates instructor and say, instead of your feet being externally rotated, can you just keep them straight when you're on, you know, the Cadillac or you're doing different types of you know, different types of movements. And usually those instructors see my point based on how they are moving and how we're trying to get them in more ideal postures. But, you know, that's why it's important to kind of know the other courses and classes that your, your clients are taking, find out what they're doing, what they feel, you know, they're getting out of it and then work, you know, in harmony with those other courses that they're taking. So you're not doing repetitive movements and you can make sure that, you know, that everything that, that you're trying to focus on isn't going to backtrack you because they're taking something that might inhibit um, proper movement. And so, but I love Pilates. It's very hard. <laughs> I didn't think my body weight and springs could make, make it hard, but it is an amazing core workout. It, it is something that brings focus to my posture. And I'm a big fan of Pilates, especially when it's done correctly. Yeah, and for those of you just joining in to this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm Marty Miller here with my co-host, Wendy Bats, and we're just going over fitness myths, and we're going over some things that maybe we're just asking you to critically think about, question a little bit, but run it back through the model. And Wendy, when you look at this picture here, it's a great, you know, and this is why we chose it is there's a lot of good stuff going on there. You got core stabilization, you got glute medius activation, you got, you know, that closed chain on that individual's shoulder that's supporting themselves, a lot of phenomenal stuff. It's just, you're not physically changing the attachment points of the muscle. That can't happen. 
But as you said, if we go through the model, this would be phenomenal for stabilization training and even some corrective exercise. Absolutely. There we go. So don't so we have, I think we got myth number one. So I love this little picture here. Uh, both pictures, actually. But Wendy, if you want to jump in here and start this one off on myth number two. Uh, guys, especially, you know, this is one of the reasons we wanted to do this as our first one in January, because as we know, with personal trainers, month or January, February, the busiest months of the year, because everyone decides that they are going to have these new year's resolutions. They're finally going to drop the pounds that they want. They finally want to start to get themselves stronger, more mobile, um, all the things that we want to hear, which is really exciting, especially when they're like, okay, this is the year to make that happen. The problem is, is if they, if, if you don't have, or, or your clients don't have a trainer or you're seeing new people join a gym and they really are lost guys, that's where we can play such a huge role in changing someone's experience at a gym. Even if they're not our client and you see someone struggling with a piece of machinery or that you see them maybe doing something where it is not ideal um, in how they're, they're doing the exercise, maybe give them a couple tips where it's not going to offend them. Just that's a number one, a really great way to build your business. Number two, it shows that you actually care about people and it's not always just about the money, but you could also gain a client at that point too, because it can start a conversation. What we've noticed is that people will go to the gym or even your clients are going to say, well, you know what, that, that workout that we did, I really wasn't that sore when I woke up. And so I need to, I guess I didn't do things right. Or I think I need to add more weight because it, the mindset that a lot of us have is if you're not sore the next day then you didn't push yourself that hard. And that's not the case. Not always no pain, no gain. If you start to have a ton of pain, why are you having that kind of pain? Is it joint pain? Is it muscular pain? Did you lift too much too fast? And unfortunately, especially someone new to the gym, you, it, you they just don't come back because they're so sore. They're sore for a week and they're like, oh my gosh, I can barely get out of bed. I can barely put on my clothes, you know? And so, so especially, you know, I hear this, I just train legs and I'm so sore. I don't know what it is about. I mean, I know the, the legs are a big muscle group, but, you know, be, be smart in your training. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, I'm just going to go back through logic and critical thinking is one, the model, because I've had this question, Wendy, and I know you have two. So Marty, you're telling me you're never sore. You should, I'm like, well, not really. I mean, in the sense that if I'm going through the proper phase of training in a linear progressive manner, I go from corrective into stabilization, into strength endurance, and I'm doing my proper warmups. I'm doing the right amount of time under tension. I'm doing the right amount of volume and I'm doing my cool down. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be just wrecked. Now that doesn't mean as I enter a new phase of training, if I really tighten up a muscle, I'm like, yeah, I can tell I, I, I worked a little bit, but the way I always told my clients is walk out fatigued, come back refreshed. If I do that, I'm nailing your workouts, right? Especially if you're seeing progression. Because at the end of the day, no one cares about living in pain. They care about progression and results. There's not a correlation. I haven't seen a research article said that the people who saw the most amount of success were the ones in the most amount of pain, right? And this is, Wendy, I've said this, you've heard me say this in workshops and stuff. I'm like, okay, we get to this topic and I kind of let people kind of walk into it. I'm like, all right, who likes to be sore after workout? Everyone raises their hand. Like, okay, who likes having headaches? And they pause. Who likes a stomachache? And I'm like, wait a minute. By your logic, if a muscle soreness is good, a headache should mean that I thought really well that day and the stomach ache should mean that I ate really well. Pain receptors are pain receptors. There's not different ones. There's not a positive pain receptor and negative pain receptors. 
So when you break it down back to the science, people are like, oh my God, I never thought about that. So one, you might've skipped the wrong phases of training, building people into strength training. You might've done too much volume, but the research shows, and I use this other example, the easy button. My job is to give you the maximum amount of results with the least amount of work. So if I can do that and not make you sore following science, like, so again, Will you feel maybe a little bit of fatigue? Maybe, but you should not have that where you're like looking at a, a staircase going, I don't know how I'm going to get up or down this. <laughs> uh, and to your point, Marty, I mean, we don't like to, we don't, we're not, our scope of practice isn't about pain. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't take care of pain. If somebody comes to us and say, you know, this is painful or, or whatever, our job is to, you know, seek help. Because pain is is obviously not what we're going for. Now, if someone's sore, I mean, I know for me, like when I started back up, and like you said, Marty, when I transitioned into a different phase, I am sore the next day because I'm doing different things. My body's like learning different movement patterns or I'm doing an exercise I haven't done in a really long time. So that's why I tell people to switch it up all the time. If you're always doing the same exercise, maybe try, you know, try it a different way, try it with cables instead of machines, try it with dumbbells instead of cables, you know, always utilize different modalities and different ways of doing different movement patterns to avoid the pain. So some soreness is normal. Yes. And so are we saying that you should never be sore after a workout? Absolutely not. But to Marty's point, if you're looking at a stairwell, which this this actually happened to my me and, and my husband, we did not properly train for a half marathon and decided that we were going to go run it. And then we raced each other to see who was going to finish first. Um, but then the next day or that actually that same evening, we tried to go to dinner and like we actually had to hold on to the railing because we were so miserably sore. But we didn't train correctly. We knew like at that point we had the mindset like we both want to win. And we definitely want to beat each other. But at the same time, you know what? We deserve to be sore. And literally for four or five days afterwards, we were extremely sore. And that's not ideal. Yeah, and yeah. Sorry, when I was saying my final comment on this is think about the quality of movement the next day you come in the gym. Right? <laughs> you're, you're not going to move well. So now we just are going to continue to load you improperly and maybe cause now other types of pain. And then for the people that are new to fitness, they don't really get excited about that muscle soreness. And now you just wrecked their, you know, um, courage to come back in because you shouldn't live through, imagine if you thought this is what it was going to be like every workout for the rest of your life, why would you come back? So yeah. that's why the OPT model is your best friend, a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of, you know, knowing you work the muscle the following days is fine. But in the model, if you do your cool down, that's going to dissipate as well. Yes. Great point. Excellent. I, I love this. It's best to work out in the morning. You know, if you don't work out in the morning, then you know what, if you were, if you're an afternoon person that works out, then you know what, you're going to have no benefits, no gains, because it's only, only the morning workout is the only one that is the best when you're, when you're thinking about this. Um, so not true. <laughs> for me, it's, it's simple. When is the best time for you to get it done? And you know, Wendy, it, you and I both worked with elite athletes. That's a little different. Like if there is a window we're trying to optimize, they may have their schedules dictated all around performance. Right. But even that, like, you know, it's not, there's no science saying, like you said, Wendy, up after 7am, everything's wasted. It's going to come down to your total volume, your work, your rest, your recovery, your nutrition, all of that kind of stuff. But for me, 
I work out in the morning because I know what the rest of my day looks like. If I don't get it in, life is going to get in the way. But when I was uh, director of private country club, I had to be at work at six o'clock in the morning, ready to go. I had to work out at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, my schedule switched now, switch now that I'm over here traveling around the world for techno gym, my full-time job, I have to do it first thing in the morning, almost always. So the best time to work out is the time that works best for your schedule. But what I would recommend is get your clients to time block it because it's easy for them to be like, well, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do it this morning. I'm going to do it here. I'm going to do it there. So try to get them to commit to a time and put it in their schedule. But the best time is the time that works for them. Absolutely. And, you know, and everybody is different in so many ways. I mean, we talk about the body itself, but for me, I get up super early in the morning and it's because I'm like you, Marty, I have a very busy schedule. And so, you know, do I have more time in the evening? Well, after I put my son down and, and everything, yes, I have more time. That would be optimal time in my schedule, but then I'm so exhausted. I don't want to do that. And I'm like you, if I don't do it first thing in the morning or do it after I've had a couple cup, you know, cups of coffee done, you know, my, my correctives and my warm up and my rolling or, you know, my, um, utilizing a per- percussion device, whatever it is, I'm not ready to do it. I'm going to have a really crummy workout. So I've got to make sure that I have the energy. It's good timing. It fits because if it's, if I'm crunching it into my schedule too, and knowing that I only have this amount of time, I could be really stressed out because I know what's coming up next. And, and so I need to make sure that I schedule it out. I know that if I, if I say I'm going to do it in the evening, I probably won't do it. I find every reason because I'm like, I'm just so tired. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to start my day and do it again tomorrow. And that's unfortunately what we hear oftentimes with our clients. I'm going to just I couldn't meet with you this morning because I had this meeting, but you know what? Let's schedule this afternoon. Oh, something happened now, something with the kids and it just doesn't happen. And so if you start to see that pattern with your clients right at the very start, you want to talk to them and say, okay, listen, let's look at your calendar. Is this really the optimal time for you? Or do we need to adjust the time that you come in and see me because they have to commit but you also, you know, if they're, if they're a night owl and you're having them come in at 6 a.m., they're probably not going to, they'll oversleep and then they're miserable the whole time. <laughs> so keep that in mind as well. And it takes a while to change habits, you know, when, again, everyone's a little different. When do you know what I'm doing every day from 5.15 to 5.45 or 6 o'clock? You know my routine. I'm doing my correctives, regardless whether I'm training that day or not. But you just got to get into a pattern and schedule it. And then from there, it becomes a little bit easier. Yes. And today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts, are talking about different types of fitness myths that we hear very often. We've talked about Pilates and about lengthening the muscle. Is it, Are you really lengthening the muscle? No, but we've talked about actually how amazing Pilates can be and the purpose of it. We've also talked about the whole no pain, no gain. That was the, a, a really big one. Um, And then we also now just discussed the best time to work out has to be in the morning, which is not true. It's whenever you can schedule it, whenever you're ready. And then the next one we're going to talk about is strength training will bulk you up. And let me tell you, as a female, there's so much truth to this, Marty. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, if you pick up over five pounds, you're destined to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger if you're a female, right? (laughs) But you know what, Wendy, here's the, here's the funny thing about it is you and I've been in the industry long enough and early on, of course, any, you know, most men, when they did strength training, their goal was the bulk up because 
you know, if you looked at the physiques that you could aspire to, it was a lot of bodybuilders. Now today with the, you know, CrossFitters, mixed martial artists, there is a different aesthetic look that people aspire to. But I think also some of the kind of common ground was that through the CrossFit phase that more and more men got into cardiovascular work. Thank God, because this could have been another myth that a cardio is going to make you lose weight. And last time I looked at sprinters, they are jacked, right? And so there's ways to do cardio and still maintain your muscle mass. And I think women got into more resistance training, weightlifting, and they understand that a muscular physique can still look feminine. And we know how healthy muscle is. So I think we've, we've kind of are coming through this, but again, it depends on what phase of training you're in. It depends on your volume. You do have to have the right genetics. You know, people could do the exact same workouts. Some people will put on more muscle mass. Some people won't, but it still doesn't mean you don't want to aspire to put on muscle because unfortunately, Wendy, you and I both know this, we're over the age of 25 to 30, that your body's trying to shed muscle mass as you get a little bit older. And that's very dangerous as we get older. So there is a time and a place to put on muscle mass before your body wants to start getting rid of it. And then anything you can do to hang on to your muscle mass as you age is incredibly, incredibly important for longevity. Well, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to speak as a female, you know, and I heard this and I, and, and they'll come into the gym and they'll say, listen, I have this pair of skinny jeans that I really want to get into. And, you know, if they're not utilizing something like the model, then, you know, again, think about phase one, we're doing 12 to 20 repetitions, we're doing a four, you know, four to one or a very slow tempo when we're moving the weight. So the weight has to be light, we want it to be challenging for that rep range, we take, you know, um, rest periods if we need it. But most of the time, we most women want to lean out, and they want to actually, you know, not bulk up. If you start leaning out, you're going to see the muscles, right? So we're going to do limited rest periods. But again, we are challenging the muscles, but we're working on proper alignment. We're working on stabilization. We're working on building the foundation. And then at that point, we start to increase, you know, the weight by decreasing the amount of repetitions that we're doing. And then we're also increasing the tempo. We're moving the weight a little bit faster. So when we get to a phase two, which is the, the superset, you're still not going to get huge. No matter what happens, you're not going to get so big, you can't fit into your jeans. You may start to see more definition. You may start to feel better. You're going to look better because again, if you have no muscle mass and now you're starting to see some muscle mass, we know the benefits of it that Marty just mentioned. But guys, a lot of that has to do with your nutrition. And so if you are eating and eating and eating and then you go and lift heavy, you are going to get bigger, you know, just size-wise. You're feeding the body. You're feeding your temple, no matter what it is. And then at that point you will grow. But if you're not really utilizing stabilization and stabilization endurance, and you go straight into muscular development, the goal of muscular development is to gain some size. It's hypertrophy training. And so unfortunately people go into the gym, they lift as heavy as they can for eight to 10 reps, and then they go home and they eat everything. Well, you will get bigger because you are building muscle hypertrophy, you know, like you're working in that phase. And that's one of the reasons that we love the model is because that is an option, an optional phase. Not everybody wants to be a bodybuilder. Not everyone wants to get big, but just knowing lifting weights is not going to make you big. Strength training will not make you big unless that's your ultimate goal. 
and you know, the term strength training to me is, is a phase, right? We should say resistance training. We do in the model because you can still do resistance training and not enter that phase of strength training. And then you can, you know, depend on your genetics and again, what you're doing. But the one thing I could say, Wendy, is don't be afraid to put on a little muscle because it's a lot easier to take it off. Like if yeah. you're able to put muscle mass on, you could change your phase of training and you will see some of that. If you got too bulky, you will see that muscle kind of, you know, slim back a little bit based on your resistance profile that you're doing in your nutrition, but don't be afraid to push it a little bit because you may be a hard gainer. And as we said, it's so important for health to have muscle mass as we're aging anyways. And from a aesthetics and it increases your metabolism. So don't be afraid knowing that you could always kind of peel back some of that muscle mass if you chose to. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, then try to lift really heavy and then don't do anything for a week and see how you look. <laughs> and it won't turn to fat. That's another myth. Like they don't just swap. <laughs> Wait, you mean if I gain size and it looks muscular and then I don't work out for a week, it doesn't just turn chunky? Come on, Marty. Nope, nope. <laughs> I, I, you know, I always do the example I would give because that was big in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I don't want to bulk up because it'll turn to fat. Well, if I give you a piece of wood, can you make it a piece of steel? No. Same thing. It's a different, different metabolic tissues, right? Muscle does not turn into fat. So there's kind of like myth 4.2. <laughs> there you go. Well, this one, do I need to do cardio or you need to do cardio first to quote, warm up your muscles before you stretch. This is my favorite. I hear That's this right. all the time and in, it never fails when I have like, when we're teaching a live workshop, even when I'm teaching my courses in the university, you know, people will say, I have to do cardio first to warm up your muscles. Okay, guys, my one question to you is this, what is your body temperature? And so on average, people are 96, 98 degrees. So to me, that's pretty warm. Marty, I mean, last I checked, 90, 90 degrees in general is warm. And so are you quote, warming up your muscles? Well, your body's already warm. So there's different thought processes. And that's why I said, don't be careful what you're saying. Because if you said that to me, I'll be like, what? That doesn't even make sense because I'm going to take it literal. Like I'm a very literal person. So if you say you're going to go warm up your muscles, I'm going to be like, oh my goodness, you know, what's your core temperature for your body? You know, so Marty, what is right. your take on this? Well, think about it. Like Wendy, you know, you and I were talking before, we both had just family members that were sick and they had fevers and they're feeling horrible. Right. Mm -hmm. And think about anybody that has a little child that gets sick, or if you can remember last time you had a fever, your body temperature goes from 98, 98.6 to 101. You are horribly sick. You feel miserable. You don't want to move. So, do you think that there's a drastic change in your core temperature when you're doing your warm up? No. What we call it with NASM is movement preparation. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying there's not some, you know, are you increasing blood flow, you know, cellular tissue are you getting the muscle ready to respond in case you're doing like a power workout and you're going through your dynamic stretching you could call that a warm-up but that's only because they that group of i'm going to get them eventually that was what was named in the industry no one's really changed it but we call it you know a movement preparation as part of that warm-up but we're not saying you're going to take your temperature from 98 to 107 because you'd be in the hospital you'd be almost dead <laughs> people don't question it and they're like oh my god i never thought about it but well let's critically think so 
movement preparation, soft tissue preparation, right? All that is central nervous system preparation. Great. If your temperature goes from 98.6 to 98.8, whatever, great. But that's why we have homeostasis and we sweat. Your body will fight to keep it at 98.6-ish, right? That's why we have homeostasis. Well, and I also want to piggyback, so this might be your 5.2, is when somebody walks into the gym, if their feet are turned out, their knees are caving in and they have a big arch or they've been sitting down and they have you know rounded shoulders, and the first thing that I say to that client is I want you to get on a bike or I want you to go onto a treadmill and I want you to warm up for five to 10 minutes and then I'll be right with you. Well, first of all, why am I not prepared or right, you know, right when they walk in or if they're there early? Guys, if somebody has a ton of compensations and then I have them go walk on the treadmill or I have them go and sit down on a bike and they have like a huge you know, anterior tilt, I'm feeding into these compensations that they're showing me as they're walking in. And I'm only going to make the matters worse. One of the things that you're going to notice through and with NASM is that we have people do self-myofascial technique right when they walk in. And when you're rolling on that tissue, you're actually, quote, warming it up, right? Because you're adding friction to that muscle. You're getting better blood flow through the muscles. That's why it feels like, it, you know, sometimes it even turns red um, because there's better blood flow. And that's what we're looking for is we're looking for blood flow. We're looking for, you know, um, really trying to downregulate overactive muscles. So then we can go into some stretching and then we might do some activation work. And then if, if they just feel like they have to get on that treadmill or they have to get onto the bike or they have to get on something because that's just their thing, or you feel that they need to do that quote cardio warm up, have them roll first, then stretch, then activate, put them in a better chance and position. So when they go onto that treadmill, their feet are a little bit straighter, their knees are more aligned, you know, because you've done things to warm up the outer hip or activate the outer hip and get better length into the lateral gas or lateral gastro. Um, you know, that's really important because again, our ultimate job is to make someone move better and more ideal. So they're going to be able to lift more and perform at a higher level. Don't let them come in, especially if they've been in heels all day, dress shoes for men, high heels for women, whatever. It doesn't matter. Any kind of heel will cause those compensations if they've been on them for eight to 10 hours and then they take them off, put on tennis shoes, and then you tell them to go run or walk. So just be smart. And that's one of the reasons in our textbook that we say, if you want to do cardio, do it after you roll and stretch, ideally after you do some activation work and then, and then do that. It's always about quality of movement first. Always. Excellent. So thank you for that 5.2. <laughs> there's my, there's my rant for the day. My that's ramble. Right. That's why I left it. Cause I knew you were, that was near and dear to your heart. So yes. Some key takeaways that I think Wendy and I both covered and we cover in a lot of these master instructor roundtables, go figure, is the OPT model will always provide you the answer. It's they're built in there for you. You just got to don't take the model for granted. Really critically think about it. Look at it. Ask why it's there. Why do they use these terminologies? And if you have any questions, you can get a hold of us. Always, always use that critical thinking just because something is out there in you know, flying around the internet or from just people talking doesn't mean that it's 100% correct. There might be some truth to it, like we talked about today, but don't be afraid to question it, like the whole muscle soreness, right? Like there's really, there's no science behind that. Like, yes, you have to challenge the muscle and we want progressive overload, 
But if you really look at the science, it's not saying jump right into it, make people sore, you get the best results. And then like Wendy and I, I'm that annoying. Can you imagine what my parents were like, Chris, uh, Wendy, when I was like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Question everything. So that's how you learn. Yeah. And I tell my clients too, if you have a question, I want you to ask question everything, because you know what? I bet you I have a rationale for why I'm making you stand on one leg and why I'm making you do this and why I'm making you do that. Plus it's fun to me. It's fun because I want to teach. I want yeah. my clients to have a really good understanding and trust me, the more that they realize how smart you are because you're actually thought about their workout and you're not just doing the workout of the day. Um, you know what? They just keep coming back I'm telling you it's really good for business. <laughs> So Wendy, why don't you tell these amazing people how to get a hold of you? Yes. If you guys want to email me, you can find me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my info is popping right up here. So my Instagram is dr.martymiller72. And then my email, marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, here's to a great 2023. Thanks for all you did in 2022 and this great kickoff to this year. And for all of you joining us this week, we look forward to seeing you again next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.